Et tu brute. Okay. Okay, that's a good one. That's that's a good one. It's a I'll deep give that cut. To you. Deep cut. It's a deep cut, but I many like it. many I deep cuts it. in the Senate floor. That's for yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, were. Welcome in everybody. Uh, season four, episode nine. Another fun one for you. Another episode where, Dude. you know, there are always moments every single week when. Sure. I, thank you, Nick. There are moments. There are moments every, every week. week. That's true. I but can there confirm. are moments every week of listening when I go, I can't believe I'm doing this. And sometimes that's, wow, I can't believe that I get to do this and listen to these nine great albums, these nine great, you know, performances in each of these works of art. And then there's sometimes when I go, I can't believe that I have to do this and then talk about them on, on the podcast. Mm. Uh, it's real, but it's always the same thought of like, I can't believe... I'm right. doing this. Right. Okay. <laughs> so we'll we'll let the audience decide wh- who I'm thinking of and, and where I'm asking that question this week. Fair enough. Uh, but I definitely asked it at a certain point in time. Um, I already mentioned okay. to, to you that my listening was a little more difficult to get to this week just because my kind of life was a little busier than it's normally been recently. Sure. Uh, so I had to really force myself to listen at, mm. at a pace that I'm not used to much anymore. Yeah. I'm used to being able to really kind of slow it down and, and have like some deep intakes of all the music. Savor it. Mm-hmm. And I was really just kind of rapid pacing, like similar to like seasons one and two, when I would have to listen basically on my commutes to and from work every day. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so thankfully I don't have to do that anymore, typically, but this week is a little bit of an anomaly. So I don't know if maybe that colored my opinion one way or another. Could be. Uh, but I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about it. Nick, I am too. It is just Nick and I today as it is kind of the purge of uh, of this season. Yeah. Uh, you know, I guess I guess I enjoy you know talking I with you. I guess. All right. <laughs> You're not going anywhere. I'm going to tell the people who we listen to. Oh, I don't, I, do you, are you sure? You sure you want to do yeah, that? It's going to really am. give away the joke that I do. I feel like they should already know yeah, well, based on my joke. Yeah, hopefully. Well, obviously, you know, because of past joke that we're going to finish this week with the Supremes. And then before that, we're going to listen to Pantera. But we're going to start things off with the Ides of March. Right. Come on. It was a perfect yeah. setup to my joke. I know. I know. Ides of March. Caesar. Come on. Yes, Et yes, tu, I Brute. So I even right, made a Senate it. floor joke. I know. I know. I'm just tired of hearing about it now, and I want to move on with my life. Oh, I have another 45 minutes <laughs> of jokes based on that one thing, though. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll take me. us in. I'll yeah, take us into the Ides, uh, the Ides of March, also variously known as Ides of March. Right. You know, picking up, dropping that the every once in a while. Maybe sure. maybe this is the band that let the the borrow their the. That could be it. Something to think about. Uh, so they are, I'm going to get it out of the way. They're a one hit wonder. We'll just say it's basically literally that's what it says on Wikipedia as well. They're known for their one hit vehicle. Uh, which Correct. came out in 1970. Uh, then they went on hiatus in 1973. So they were active from 66 to 73, then decided in 1990 to get back together and are technically still active today. Yes. And we covered three albums. We covered we Vehicle from 1970. Uh, we followed that up with, oh, their stuff is super wrong. 
Their stuff is okay. weird to me. Hold on. Okay, Common, Common Bond, Bond from 1971. Yeah, Common Bond from 1971, and then we and follow it up on. with Play On from 2019. Correct. Sorry, I'm going to be honest with you. I had it already on my phone Wikipedia, and differently formatted up. on the computer. Gotcha. Decided to, to hit me with the struggle bus. Uh, but okay. here's what I'm going to do, Nick. I'm going to go first here. Please, go right ahead. Because Vehicle is... Obviously, the album with the song that I knew. Right. And it's the first song on the album. Now, our dedicated listeners, we've had this happen before. An artist is popular for one song, and oh no, it's the first song on their first album. And Mm -hmm. it typically Mm -hmm. indicates some scary times up ahead. Um, I don't necessarily think that's true here. Uh, I enjoyed this album. Uh... Ironically, when you when you read about the Ides of March, uh, they're qualified as a rock band. Beware, that's true. <laughs> uh, they're they're every, oh, a rock band, a rock band, a rock band. From, you know, and Vehicle, their popular song is very clearly a funk song. Mm-hmm. So I was very confused in the moment where I was like, "Am I thinking of the wrong band?" Because and then I saw sure. the album and I'm like, "It has to be this." And I listened and I'm like, "Okay, it is. It's funk." And then you move on, and it's it's like, it's like they took funk rock, or funk and psychedelic rock, and had a baby, and that's pretty much this whole album. It's good. I I think that we've heard both versions of this. We've heard funk way better, you know, okay. a, a la Parliament and things like that. And I think we've heard psychedelic rock better. Sure. You know, we've had some really big psychedelic rock names on the podcast, but I think that they have. Meshed the two well together. I think that they do, you know, pretty typical for the late 60s, early 70s, a mix of covers and originals. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have too many bad things to say. It's it's definitely more than like boilerplate. It's not boring to me. Uh, all good music, all stuff I'd listen to again. Uh, but I will say I kind of agree with people other than vehicle here. I'm not holding on to much. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and Vehicle is obviously the strongest song. Like, I'm not even going to argue with yeah. that. It's got a great horn section. It's got a really good guitar solo. Uh, the vocals are strong. Like, Jim Paterik is a very strong lead singer, I think. For sure. Um, Especially on this and, album. Yeah. Uh, and they they show a lot of good stuff. I want to talk about the covers, though, because the two cover songs on this record are the two that really, really, like, got me thinking about this band. Sure. So the first one is a mashup. It's a mashup of Wooden Ships by Crosby, Stills, and Nash um, and Dharma for One by Jethro Tull, which is just, like, fascinating that they chose to blend those two songs. I did it again! <laughs> it's I have to reestablish my desk. You do. Because you it's really far do. away, and I'm just like... I had it ready to push because I knew that we were going to talk about Jethro Tull here. Yeah. And then I just pushed the 55 anyway. I just love hearing it. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Um, but I, just like Dharma for One for Jethro Tull really shows off the talents of the drummer on this record. Uh, and because the other part is a Crosby, Stills, Nash song, really shows off the harmonic ability of this band. Like there are a lot of really good layered harmonies that Ides of March does uh, on this record. Yeah. And then the other thing, which may be my new favorite song on this record for sure, was the last track, which I had no idea was going to be uh, a cover, come especially on. That's from just because you're a fan. No, okay. I'm kidding. It's a really good song. <laughs> Symphony for Eleanor, which is a 10 minute version 
of Eleanor Rigby, you never would have known okay. that that's what it was until the lyrics came in. I'm going to tell the audience. It was now. it was hands down the most unique cover of a song cover arrangement of a song that we've heard on the podcast. Like it was so interesting and different. And I was fascinated by it endlessly. Nick, you're just so basic because if I were to tell our dedicated listeners again, Hey guys, on this album, there's a 10 minute long version of a Beatles song. Everyone would go, Oh, that's Nick's favorite song. And immediately you're like, this is my new favorite song. You're yeah, just all right. Nick. Well, I understand all of your standing. Your ha. merits stand by themselves. It is a good song, and I waited so for you good. to talk about it. Yes, but it's I just know. so ironic that you, you left perfectly it fit the formula. I know I did. I fit the formula this time, but it was so deserved <laughs> because it was like the most unique arrangement of the song. Like you would never think a two-minute song like Eleanor Rigby would be arranged by a funk band to be a ten-minute epic, and it was great. Yeah. Like it was so cool. Uh, I loved it. I agree. And now I'll move. It was yeah. really good. I'll move into uh, Common Bond, which is the next album, which uh, I think had more strong songs on it. Some of the songs were just like a little bit average, um, but a lot of times the songs that like didn't grab me as much or weren't as good still had like strong instrumental moments that I could pick up on. So at this point, I'm like, okay, if nothing else, Ides of March, very strong players, like always going to enjoy them on that level. Sure. Um, and then this album, I think brings that vocal harmony that I was talking about um, in the Crosby, Stills, Nash cover uh, more to the forefront. There is a lot of harmony going on here. Uh, Ellie Goodbye, I thought was a really great um, change from the upbeat horn-driven tunes that they do. Uh, Him for Her had a really cool classically inspired horn arrangement, whereas a lot of their stuff is funkier and bluesier. That had like a, a real classical vibe to it. Um, and the, again, like the final track was an epic uh, you know, like 11 minute song and maybe the strongest work on the album. Again, like really, really good at worst, just average songs, but mostly very good. Um, and that's how I felt about it. You're basic, man. You're so basic. I know. I know. <laughs> so predictable. Nick likes the long song. Uh, but here's what I'll say. Uh, I think that to stay grounded, no song has the pull of vehicle on this album. Uh, so, like, let's get that right out of the way. They struck lightning in a bottle, and then they've since followed it up with solid. I think the the the, the second from the second song on of the first album was solid. You know, it had its moments. They showed some real spark. You know, Nick mentioned the harmonies and and the kind of rearrangements of Eleanor Rigby at the end. I think this album, as Nick said, kind of takes that and runs with it a little bit. I do think on this album. They have started to stray a little bit away from that funk psychedelia. Yeah. More into like a classic rock, you know, like our pop rock with funk influence kind of feel. So you're getting a little bit more of that kind of that kind of belly of it a little bit. Uh, I think the harmonies were strong. I think they're 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 using their entire group very well here. I think there's a good use of dynamics in the songs. You did bring up LA Goodbye as a great example. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. I think that this is an album that, unlike the first album, I almost think because it didn't have a song like Vehicle, where there was such a sense of familiarity and such like a, like a blazing expectation because it comes right out of the gate, it hits you, it's really just funky and groovy. This album is more of a slow burn. You know, it's a difference between a roaring fireplace and like a candlelit dinner. Sure. But <laughs> I enjoyed it. I really did. Okay, before you go on to play on, can I say a few things? Of course you can. Okay, so something that I just found fascinating is, so after 1973, they, they put out their last album, 
uh, until 2010. And in between, Jim Paterik, lead singer, lead guitarist, leaves the band to form Survivor. <laughs> he formed Eye of the Tiger Survivor. That is Jim Paterik's vehicle. Really? Yes. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> like, that's the guy playing guitar on Vehicle is also the guy playing guitar on Eye of the Tiger. You're that's like fact checking me right now. Yeah, I'm not even, I swear I'm not to even you. fact checking. I totally. It looks believe. like you're like that's not real. You got to check. Um, yeah, that's, that's just fascinating to me. Uh, but then when they did get back together, uh, their first album was in 2010, and it's called Still 19. And I'm gonna guess this is all speculation on my part now that they called it that because Jim Paterik, and I know this is true, was 19 when they recorded Vehicle, which super cool that he was that young and they sounded that great. Okay, so I'll take us on to. To play, on. to play on, yes. So let's get it right out of the way. They're older. Time has passed. Uh, I think that as is kind of standard now, uh, which which hasn't been the standard in the past for us, but recently the last season and this season, uh, our tones have almost shifted a little bit for older groups, and I think that they've embraced the processing. They've embraced yeah. the process of recording music. So there's a lot of really interesting harmonies and stuff that are, are piecemeal together. Mm-hmm. Uh, vocally, still relatively strong. Um, I agree. A little bit of a choral effect happening. You can kind of tell when people solo out that there's a little bit of, of uh, kind of tarnish on the voice uh, that really gets masked by a strong vocal effect, which they use a little bit more heavily on this last album. Mm-hmm. But it's all enjoyable. It's uh, it's probably the third of three for me. Uh, but that's it, pretty typical that that's what happens. You know, there's a little bit less of a sense of urgency. Uh, sure. there, which, again, is totally fine. I think the music and the musicality kind of survives on its own. Uh, I feel like we're probably the furthest out of that first album's bucket of, like, funk rock and, and psychedelia. Yeah. Where we're kind of firmly away from that at this point. Right. But still enjoyable i will say some of the lyrics can be a little bit cheesy on this one you know we're getting kind of into the yeah i it's almost like yeah you know what are you young whippersnappers talking about kind of yeah kind of stuff at, at parts but nothing too cringy i agree so uh, mediocre plus for me sure yeah i i liked it it was good um i had trouble finding it at first so i was like my trepidation was increased quite a bit uh, at that point, but I was pleasantly surprised with how good everything still sounded. Uh, they had a nice, clean sound, strong harmonies, cheesy lyrics, but musically always strong. I think they're definitely uh, a really tight group uh, who all play very well. Yeah. The song She kind of stood out to me as having a bit of a Steely Dan vibe going on. Uh, but then the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting was this album was just full of uh, guest appearances from other musicians who like joined them for a lot. And there was some weird and in, like just unexpected things. Like, for instance, Bo Bice makes an appearance on this record as a co-vocalist for one of the songs. But uh, you know what? So I couldn't find too many like liner notes for this album. Yeah. And I like like if I didn't listen to like I recognized him. Hmm. I straight up recognized his voice. Sure. But but yeah. wow. The other one, which I think actually like real credit to Ides of March. Um, and, like, respect in the industry, I would say. Uh, Joe Bonamassa comes in and plays guitar on one of these tracks. And really? He's, like, one of the biggest names in guitar land of the last couple decades, you know? Yeah. Uh, a really excellent player. 
So I just thought that that was really interesting that they, you know, the array of people who wanted to come in and play with them. Uh, but now we can grade them. Yeah, let's uh, let's let's do that. <laughs> and yeah, I cultural mean, impact one. Yeah, it's a one vehicle, one. one hit wonder for sure. That's it. Yeah. Um, now, as far as their uh, what's it called goes, their discography. That's what we call it. That uh, is what we call it. I'm gonna say it's 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 eight, but it's also seven. Right. And I say that because in, in their later releases, uh, they have Last Band Standing and Outside the Box, which is just like, I guess, different cuts from Last Band Standing or songs that didn't make the record yeah. or things that they pushed off to a different project. So it's like sort of that album, but sort of sort of its own thing. We'll say they have seven and a half records. Yeah. And, and it's something to note that they went from, they had Warner Brothers for two, RCA for two. So their first four albums were you know, relatively major labels, and then every other album was an independent release. So right. they're just making their own music and releasing their own music independently at this point. Right. Nothing wrong with it. No, not at all. Just something to, to kind of quantify. We do it. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So, uh, And I think the music's good enough that they get a, a boost on top of Ooh. seven and a half records. They're not going to get a, a sales boost, obviously. Right. Um, but they're good. But they're definitely a good good Enjoyable band. listen, so thinking, for sure. I'm thinking high fives. I would agree with a high five. Uh, so, not a high high five though. I think a five eight for a record and a half over with good quality is five eight. Yeah, maybe now that I say it, maybe seven. Yeah, I was thinking five, of five seven. seven. Yeah, but I think instrumental talent uh, and songwriting talent are are going to be helpful for them. I think they're definitely good scores. Uh, sure. Clearly, they're very good. Like, yeah, they're they're a good band do. to listen to for sure. Yeah, uh, every every player is solid. Um, the vocals are always at least. Good, sometimes really good uh, on the earlier stuff. Oh, yeah, there's definitely moments. Um, So I would probably be in the sixes for a score like this. I could live there. I could live in the sixes. Yeah. I don't need to be super high in the sixes, but they need to be respected for the good musicians that they are. And I would like around a six four. You know what, Nick? Because you asked so nicely, I'll give you that six four. Thank you. And I'm also, I think they deserve a, a very solid songwriting talent score as well. They did something, as you mentioned, they were blending different styles mm-hmm. uh, and arranging really interestingly, not just for horns and rock band, uh, but also for vocals. So I felt like there was a lot of good arranging going on all the time. Even the couple of covers that we talked about were done in such a completely different and unique way where the music was essentially completely rewritten and rearranged. Yeah, they, they basically used, which is, which is the way that I always prefer to hear a cover. They used the original as a jumping off point. Yeah, and instead jumped of as, real far off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I my score is not that different than it would be for Instrumental Talent. I mean, I think I think they're very good songwriters. I think they're real. Well, I think they're really great arrangers. I think they're really good arrangers, and I think that's yeah. a a slight difference here. I sure. think that they're good at piecing things together when given the parts, and I think that they're good at at sort of following the rules of music because a lot of their earlier stuff, the funk, you know, the kind of psychedelic stuff, they're pushing envelopes, but also following rules. And I think they're really good at that. And I think that, you know, there's something there for sure. I'm a little lower. I'm not much lower, but maybe like a six one. Okay. I can deal with that. Because I do think Um, there's a lot of positives. Yeah, I agree. Uh, So poetic talent. It's not bad, but no, it there's was a little cheesy bad. at the end. Otherwise, it was just it just was what it was. Yeah, there's no, I mean, there's that would nothing be bad. Pretty close to a there's five. nothing to take them below average. Yeah, um, yeah like right around a. Let's give them like a five one. 
Okay. I think they're huh. just. I think they're above like middle of the pack. I think there's you know because even middle sure. of the pack there's stuff where I'm like, Ugh. Right. this one I'm just kind of like, ha, ah, come on, you you <laughs> old man, <laughs> writing right, these songs to the youth. I got one thing for uh, X Factor. Okay. Which is I can't wait when to hear it. When it came out, Vehicle was the fastest selling single in Warner Brothers Records history at the time. Okay. Okay. That's the best I can do. <sighs> but the fact that when it came out, it was at the time the fastest selling single in the history of that record label is the closest thing to X Factor that I think they're going to get. See, here's the thing. If you had said it was the fastest selling record, you know, like, there's a there's a quantification there. There is of like at the time. If it, if if somebody sold the fastest selling record of all time, hands down, I think that that would be like serious X factor. Yeah. The fact that when the, their song came out for a time, they were the, and it's not like Warner Brothers is a small record label. No. I'm I'm saying it's like a point zero seven that rounds up to a point one. Fine, I can do that. Very good. Let's move on to Pantera. <sighs> Pantera was a heavy metal band from Arlington, Texas, formed in 1981, and they were active until 2003, and the three albums that we covered were Metal Magic from 1983, followed that up with Vulgar Display of Power from 1992, and then Reinventing the Steel from 2000, and Nick, you get to go first, my friend. Okay. So, Metal Magic. Um, it was not. End of review. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> this was uh, actually an album that you can't get other than YouTube, I believe. Yeah. Because So, essentially, if you know anything about Pantera, you're expecting a certain brand of heavy metal that they're involved with. They're known for being in the second wave of thrash metal. Um, yeah. So, all of their early albums are glam metal. Um, where they're trying to be like Kiss instead of what they become later, which really lets and you I, know how Nick yeah, feels. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't expect that. Uh, I definitely understand why. If you were a band that released this album, that maybe you wouldn't want people to find it. <laughs> that that makes sense to me. Uh, oh my God. There were times where I wasn't sure whether I didn't like the vocalist Terry Glaze or whether I just couldn't hear him in the mix because it was done so badly. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. It feels so uninspired as does almost all of the, the hair metal glam metal genre. It's like, I I could, I can definitely recognize that Dimebag Daryl is like, he's a really good guitarist at such a young age. Like he shows a lot of promise, but like very similarly to when we had extreme and Nuno Betancourt, one really talented guitarist in a band that is playing horribly uninspired hair metal music that just sucks doesn't save the record. You know, like having a good musician doesn't save an otherwise completely uninspiring record. So, okay. So, way to really hold back, Nick. I, I did a good job. Way to, way to really hold back. Uh, I'm going to give you two reviews of this album uh, as I kind of do this album and, move, and then move in to the second album. My first review largely agrees with Nick. This is, in terms of the glam metal era, this is leaning more towards the lower end of extreme than, like, the higher end 
of like if you want to say Kiss is technically in the the yeah, higher end, I would but say Van, more Van Halen, Halen. And I don't even love, it. yeah, more Van Halen or Guns and Roses up in that higher end of the glam sure. metal age. They're more towards extreme in the lower end. Uh, it's relatively uninspired. It kind of just seems like they're making music to fit Terry Glaze's voice. Like it seems like they may have they set out to make music together. And went, hey, Terry, what can you sing? And he went, I can sing this. And they went, well, then we'll write this. Uh, sure. And there was no actual inspiration behind it. Uh, and then I'm going to give you the review after I finished listening to Pantera. God, do I just wish they stayed here and <laughs> yeah, continued yeah. making glam metal music. Because I'm going to move sure. into vulgar display of power. Now, they have moved on from Terry Glaze. Which is kind of where my theory is of maybe they just didn't think he could sing anything other than glam metal. So they moved on to Phil Anselmo. And Phil Anselmo is a really good singer in the fact that he doesn't sing. And and he is uh, what's known as a yeller. Not like Bark Bark Old Yeller. Although similar ending to most tracks where he is just screeching the death throes of a dog. Yeah. Uh, throughout most of the track. Now, I'm vocal first. As a vocalist, I'm vocal first. Dimebag Daryl's a really good guitar player and really showcases how good of a guitar player he is on this album. Uh, however, it's like the violinists that played at the Titanic sank. Uh, <laughs> sure, you were doing a great job, but my God, do I just need y'all to go underwater because I don't want to listen anymore. Like, I can't, I cannot emphasize enough how, like, I am not a fan of thrash metal. And every time we have it on the podcast, I I do all of my listening. I am a good boy. I listen all the way through every song because I go, okay, what can I pull out of this? What can I, like, sweep aside from the, the vast things I don't like, such as the screamy vocals, such as the, like overemphasized messages of just like mouth for war like okay attack the radical by demons be driven like here's like <laughs> i'm struggling because it doesn't feel authentic it just feels like we're a heavy metal band we're a thrash metal band we're supposed to write edgy shit sure and this is that this is what we're writing yeah I, I so like Dimebag Daryl is the the highlight on a poopsicle. Okay, well I'll talk and I'll say this album was definitely what I expected from Pantera. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it is super highly critically acclaimed. Yeah, uh, four out of five stars, five out of five stars, nine and a half out of ten A's. And and uh, if you if is. you like thrash metal, I get it. Like it's just sure. a genre I'm never gonna enjoy, and I am right. aware of that for myself. Yeah. Uh, it's ranked the 10th greatest uh, metal album of all time by Rolling Stone. Uh, it was 11th most influential heavy metal album by IGN. Uh, and I say all this because I wanted to die when I listened to it. Uh, so this way I can say something positive. I got about a minute into it and then I was like, I cannot wait for the next 50 minutes of my life to be over. It was uh, just terrific. I'm sorry, I, did you say the, terrific? Horrific. Oh, horrific. okay. I was hoping you said terrific. uh, Since I started out with saying nice things, I will end by saying a nice thing. The last song on the album, Hollow, was the least bad song. That's that's big. Yes. 
I will move to their final studio album, Reinventing the Steel. Yes. And you never really would have known that the album changed. Nothing sounds different. <laughs> it all just runs together. It is uh, insufferable. Hold on. Hold I, on. You're, you're not wrong, but I'm just saying hold on. Okay. I'll hold. What am I holding on for? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was it was insufferable. I mean, I don't know if this was definitely the worst album or if I just hated all three hours of my life that I spent listening to Pantera so much that I was just so fatigued at this point that I couldn't handle anymore. It was like the third hour of torture. So, you know, I don't know. I, I hate it. There's nothing good that I can say about this other than that the song Death Rattle was used for an episode of Spongebob. Okay. Uh, I'll talk for uh, quite a while now. I have many things to say. First, I hated it. (laughs) Oh, good. I hated every (laughs) second of it. It was bad. It's it's 43 minutes. I'm never going to get back. 44 (laughs) minutes, basically. The seven seconds. Right. Um, Everything about it. Again, I just it feels uninspired from a lyrical sense. Like it just feels like. I don't, it's they just feel so. Oh, okay, cool. I'm a heavy metal band. I gotta do this genre. It's like if you're a, if like if you're a pop singer and like you have to sing about loving that girl. You have to do it. Mm-hmm. You have to do it. But right, right. every single song shouldn't be about that. Like maybe right. just have one song that's about like you know we'll grind that axe for a long time. Sure. <laughs> but you moving on from that. Uh, this album had varying degrees of success. You know, it's typical average reviews. Um, Alternative Press gave it five stars, though. Um, <clears throat> but it hovered around two to three stars. Bees. Uh, that's pretty much where it belongs, I think, even in the thrash metal, groove metal genre. The album cover is absolute cheese. Just the name Pantera... Yeah. With like a nude man on fire and fire is all over the name and fire is everywhere and there's a parental advisory sticker on it. Of course there is. Right. So yeah. this album uh, was created right before Pantera went on hiatus. So they went on hiatus in 2001 and then eventually they did officially break up because they just kind of kept fighting. Uh, right. Mainly because Anselmo... Uh, became a heroin addict mm. and then was very, there was a lot of tensions. He almost died of an overdose in 96. There was a ton of different disputes going on, mostly around that. So the band then broke up and the Abbott brothers, uh, which is Daryl and Vinny, I believe. Yeah, Daryl and Vinny uh, went on to form Damage Plan and uh, very famously in 2004, Dimebag Daryl was murdered on stage. Right. On stage during a show, like a very like I don't want to say typical, but like sadly kind of typical, like crazed fan crazed, encounter, yeah. like mm-hmm. a crazed fan killed him. Right, and it's it's extremely sad because as we've mentioned multiple times, he was the only bright spot. <laughs> it, like sure. he was technically a very good guitarist, and even though I hated the music that he was playing. I respected the hell out of the playing. Sure. Yeah. And and so like just just super sad. And I mean, honestly, as a musician, like it's just scary. It's scary because yeah. it's like somebody somebody loved him so much they killed him. It's just it's just yeah. awful. It's awful. 
not too many years later, well, I guess I guess a good number of years later, 2018, uh, Vincent Paul did also pass away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so both of them are, have unfortunately passed on at this point. Uh, but just, you know, the band broke up and then and stopped making music and did everyone a favor. And, and it, it wasn't the deaths uh, or, or Dimebag's death that, that forced the breakup. So I am happy the band broke up. Sure, right. I did have to research because I saw the band broke up mm-hmm. and wanted to be relieved, right. and then was like, "Wait a minute! I know what happened with with Daryl. Right. I don't. Exactly. I want to make sure that it's not. No, why. of course, obviously. Because then I wouldn't have yeah. been happy. I don't want anyone to no. die. No, of course not. But uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's where I I'm do want to grade these guys. Yeah, let's though. let's grade them. So Pantera is definitely an influential metal group. Absolutely. So that's that is points. That is points. They are. It's not a ton of points because as we mentioned before metal is not a super widely popular genre but it definitely matters um what they did and the way that they influenced other groups sure i mean that there i think there's a sound in the thrash metal industry that has really kind of showcased itself you could argue that like metal was you know part of the forefront to like emo bands Sure. Those, you know, so they're 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 they've evolved past yeah. that into like because an emo band has always struck me as like kind of a metal band with a singer that can sing. Okay. A good, you know, and also scream, but right. that's kind of what it boils down to. Oh, you want to know a fun fact? Sure. Tell me some fun facts. So for the Detroit Rock City soundtrack. Yeah. Which I know, I know you love. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Pantera recorded "Cat Scratch Fever." <laughs> Okay. Sorry. Okay. I just wanted to throw that out there. Give me a number. No. It's a number for Pantera. Uh, I don't even know where to I feel I feel confused and conflicted by this number. Yeah, it's it it is confusing and conflicting. I think that Pantera to a metalhead is It's pretty high. Very high. Yeah. And I think that Pantera to anyone else is not a household name. Sure. Like I think I there's I think there's metal performers. Like Metallica, there's metal bands, Metallica. You know, even like Sabbath Slayer is pretty metal. So. Slayer yeah. is metal. Megadeth, like there, there sure. are there are acts that are more of a household name to non-metal fans. Sure, and than it's not Pantera. like I mean, there's there's not really like a song that jumps out at me as like no. that's their huge hit that everyone would know. No, I mean, legitimately, I I'm going to be honest with you. As somebody who's not a metal fan, what I, I knew about Pantera was yeah. Dimebag Daryl's unfortunate Correct. death. Yep. So like, there's going right to be points you. there later on, sadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But right. I, I think we give them like a three and a half and move on. Done. Uh, breadth of work. There were nine albums. Sure. Um, some some of, good once sales. They, once they switched to yeah. not a glam metal band, they sold. They sold about twenty million records worldwide. Totally. Yeah. So it, it it's pretty obvious to me looking at it. So they they had the three albums that were. Uh, the glam metal, and they were not yeah. achieving success. Then they had the fourth album, uh, Power Metal, which is their first foray into the thrash heavy metal scene. Uh, that's the right. first one with Phil. And then everyone, like that one still didn't sell well, but I think everyone right. was kind of like, oh, that, wait a minute. Right. Hey, and yeah. then and then they then sold. They started going, then they started going platinum over and over again. Yeah, four straight platinum albums. Right. So, I mean, 20 million sales is nothing to shake a stick at. Of course God, not. Damn, was that music bad. Yeah. It was bad, man. It was. It was, it was um, bad. Obviously, it, look, it, they've got to still get a good score, even taking points away for quality. Because uh, giving yeah. points for 20 million records and nine records, uh, I don't know. Uh, and I, I mean, guess. Here, let me just say something here. Sure. 
Because obviously we're going to take away some points, but we're trying to hedge our bets a little bit. I, and yeah. if people just listen to the last few episodes where we kind of lambasted Nickelback and Imagine Dragons. Sure. What it boils down to for me personally is I feel more knowledgeable about that genre of music to be able to determine when it's just awful, which is sure. why we could take away so many points for the quality of Imagine Dragons or Nickelback that we're not necessarily taking away from. Yeah, because who knows whether <laughs> right. Pantera's go- songs are good or bad. They're all just horrifying to listen to. Right. Like, uh, I don't to know. a metal head, give them are like these songs good? I would love anybody who's a fan of metal sure. to to tell me. And I'm asking, don't, you know, don't, what to don't be toxic. For. Don't be yeah. toxic. Don't be like, oh, you're idiots. Like, this is your chance to educate me. Like, is Pantera mm-hmm. good metal music? Or is Pantera bad metal music? And if Pantera is bad, give me good metal music. Show me. Sure. I want to yeah. learn. So six is fine with you? Six is fine. Okay. Instrumental talent. I mean, Dimebag Daryl's really good. I think we give some some serious points there. The rest of it, tough to listen to, man. Like vocally. Yeah. Vocally, it was ugh. at best okay with Terry Glaze. At best. And he wasn't even good. He wasn't good. He yeah. said okay. He was okay. Right. Yeah. And then when they got Phil Anselmo, they stopped singing professionally. They just they moved out it. of singing as a vocal technique. Right. And they went directly into screaming. Correct. And not like in the way where screaming is singing. Correct. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know where that puts us because I I'm so turned off by everything that happened, but I could at least appreciate how talented Dimebag. Yeah, Darryl let me be like Dimebag Daryl is very omnipresent on guitar ranking charts. He is... I think he's 92 on Rolling Stone's top 100 list. Like, he's very commonly discussed in being one of the most talented guitar players of all time. And in a genre where that's more a little more difficult to do, it's a little difficult to stand out on guitar when every instrument is turned up to 11 like it is in thrash metal. Uh, however, he's being dragged down for sure by the just group of of ruffians around him. <laughs> yeah, those uh, I will say probably like ironically the second best instrument, just based on sheer tech technical ability, is probably his brother Vinny mm-hmm. on the drums. Like, yeah, because yeah. I always I I will always say that listening to drums and thrash metal music just makes me realize that. That's not necessarily playing an instrument. It's running. It's like an you said you said it before. It's an yeah. athletic thing more than an instrument thing. Sure. So, which is ironic because, yeah, you know. I mean, what do you want to give them? Do you st- do you still want to be above average for how like proficient they are? I think that if it was just Dimebag, I'd be high sevens, low eights. Okay. Um, if it was the band minus Dimebag, I'd be like three. So you want to give them a five? I want to give them right exactly five. Done. Songwriting talent. You brought up something to that was interesting to me. Okay. Which is, it seems like they started out doing glam metal because they thought that that might get popular and they yeah. might have a shot doing that. And then they switched to like a more power metal, thrash metal sound uh, because they thought they might be popular there. And I kind of wonder, are they just like doing what they think might it sell records? Feels, it feels as cookie cutter. A little cutter, empty, right? As cookie yeah. cutter as these two genres can feel. Like, it felt like for glam metal, there was no inspiration behind it. And then when they shift to the thrash metal, it just felt like this is what we're supposed to write about. So we're writing about it. 
Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't get much inspiration from anything. I didn't feel like anything was unique. Like trade, like the type of horrible screaming vocals aside. Like honestly, thinking back to when we did Slayer, I don't know if I would have been able to tell the difference. Sure, I get it. it yeah, I mean, it all runs together. Yeah. Um, so, so I mean, I'm not. I'm not high on this. I don't want to to murder them either here because maybe I just don't understand how listening to 10,000 thrash metal songs that all sound exactly the same is actually a very different and nuanced thing to do, and I just can't wrap my head around it. Well, here's the question, Nick. It's pretty common to me, and, like, my thought process is that thrash metal is supposed to get you angry. Sure. So, like, did it not accomplish it its goal? I was angry. I was angry that right? I had to listen to it. Like, is it not I don't know. I'd be willing to give them, like, goal. a four. A four is what I thought, too. Okay, good. Poetic Town is also not really. A poetic Town good. is is actively bad. <laughs> it's uh, it's act. It was actively bad during the Metal Magic days when every other sure. word was an innuendo. Opening with the song "Ride My Rocket." Oh, yeah, what's that, that about? Are they going to space? No, you know um, those little like put a quarter in and the rocket tilts back and forth. Oh, uh, okay. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, that sounds fun. I don't know how low do you want to go. I'm, I'm ready bad. to follow your. It's real bad. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna be generous here and give them a two deal. And I think it's very generous. Fair enough. Uh, X Factor Dimebag Daryl's unfortunate passing. It's yeah. It's a thing. It's a catalyst event. Yeah. Uh, I feel like they deserve a point for it. Yeah. Um, he wasn't a member of the band at the time. It wasn't what broke the band up. But it's definitely right. one of the things that Pantera is known for having happen. I I agree. Uh, and now we're done with that. So we can move on to the Supremes. The Supremes were an American female singing group and a premier act of Motown Records during the 1960s. And they were active from 1959 to 1977, then again in 1983, and then again in 2000. And yes. they were at various points throughout their their time known as the Supremes or Diana Ross and the Supremes. Correct. And we made the decision based on the lineup to just... Keep it as that. Just the they only changed the, the name. Supremes. Diana Ross was in the group right. when they were the Supremes. It's not like uh, she correct. joined. So like, right. there's no sense in in not doing something here. So exactly. the three albums we chose, after some discussion based on some controversies that Nick's going to talk about, right? Uh, we did Meet the Supremes, which came out in 1962. We followed that up with The Supremes A Go Go from 1966. And then Mary, Sherry, and Suze from 1976. Correct. So, and I guess it's, it's my turn to go first. It's your turn to start. Cool. I, I'll do that. So the Supremes are very different from what we've listened to so far. They are full-on pop, doo-wop, R&B, old-school, classic group. And it was such a relief. <laughs> um, here's what I'll say. Okay. From my listening, it was very clear that the early Supremes didn't have an identity. Sure. It was it, it was very clear to me that this was a group where they went, oh, you three can sing, and so we're going to give you songs to sing. Pretty yes. common for the time. They're not writers. They're, they're vocalists for other songs. So there's all covers here, mostly by Smokey. Uh, at, uh, the first two by Smokey, I should say. Yeah, three or four well, by Smokey, then some Barry Gordy. Right, and I mean Smokey Robinson and Barry Gordy were writing. A, a, yeah, them and the, a Holland huge, Dozier Holland were yeah. like the writers for all the acts that were coming out under Motown. Of course, so, it makes sense. It does. Um, they were experimenting with multiple lead vocals here. It's mostly Diana Ross. 
they did have a couple that had Mary Wilson or Florence Ballard right. uh, singing. I think I think honestly what one or two each. Not a lot. Mostly Diana Ross. It's mostly mm-hmm. a Diana Ross group right from right. the jump. Of course. And it's from a listening standpoint, absolutely awesome. Like they really have their harmony super tight. They're they're really playing into the whole the whole doo-wop-y feel, the movement of it. Really, you know, just super classic Motown sound. You know, not writing anything sucks a little bit. I didn't expect it. I would have been shocked. I like just knowing the time and knowing the record label, it would have blown my mind if I saw that the Supremes wrote something. They would have been catapulted into probably one of my top five all-time favorite bands if I found yeah. out that in 1962 they were writing their own stuff. Sure. As a female group in Motown. Right. So 0% surprised that they weren't writing, uh, but the stuff that they performed, really good. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it was nice to listen to this record. Uh you know, some of the songs are very silly products of the time, like oh, Butter yeah. Popcorn was like kind of ridiculous, but it was fun. Uh, there, there are good vocals on it. I mean, like you mentioned, I think the, the issue here, even though the songs are fun and enjoyable, is they definitely feel like a group without an identity yet. Like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the Supremes are the biggest girl group to come out of Motown, arguably the biggest or like tied for the biggest group to come out of Motown. Um, but they are really indistinguishable from a lot of other vocal groups here on this record for sure. Um, but again, that doesn't doesn't mean it was any less enjoyable to listen to. But other than that, yeah. I don't really have anything to add on. So I will go into The Supremes A Go-Go, which was, in fact, the first album by an all-female group to hit number one in the United States on yes, the charts. Yes, it was. Um, and for the most part, they're Holland Dozier Holland songs at this point. Uh, with some Smokey Robinson and Barry Gordy tunes, you know, thrown in there as well. Uh, and again, I really liked this album. This one, I think they sound more solidly like the Supremes instead of any other girl group at the time. Uh, you got big hits like You Can't Hurry Love on here, which is such a great song. Um, the the lead vocals sound great. The harmonies sound great. Uh, it, there's a, a sharper, more mature sense to the pop R&B sound here, uh, for sure. Um, I think it's a little bit tighter. I think the compositions themselves are better. I think they they were given better songs to work on here. Um, and the covers are, are fun They're, and familiar, like songs that you would know. Get Ready, I Can't Help Myself, Hang On, Sloopy, yeah, Money, That's What I Want, These Boots Are Made For Walking. All really enjoyable, like really liked hearing the Supremes take on this. But that's pretty much all I, I have to say about it. Okay, uh, so here's here's a couple things. Uh, this is this is kind of almost right before they shifted into being the Diana Ross and the Supremes show. Sure, right. She has clearly cemented herself at this point. She's basically singing lead throughout. Um, they found their identity of they're they're a very prominent girl group who has a star in Diana Ross. And before I get into the covers, like before I get into the actual music, my favorite part about this. And stuff that I, I actually need to go listen to now. If if they can find it. If, if they exist anywhere. Songs that were recorded but not included for this album. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. Mickey's mm-hmm. Monkey by The Miracles. Uptight by Stevie Wonder. Can I Get a Witness cool. by Marvin Gaye. In My Lonely Room by Martha and the Vandellas. I Can't Get No Satisfaction by The Rolling Stones. And It's Not Unusual by Tom Usual Jones. By Tom. Da, so, da, like, I da, Can't da, Get No Satisfaction da, 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 da. and It's Not Unusual covered by the Supremes, I need to go find them and listen to them because I'm very excited that they exist. I feel um, like 
But listening to this stuff, uh, Holland Dozier Holland, it felt like to me, knew who the Supremes wanted to be. It knew who they wanted the Supremes mm-hmm. to be. And that's why this includes two of their biggest songs. Sure. Um, or at least at least one of their biggest songs. Baby, I Need Your Lovin' is a great song. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyable to listen to. Uh, and, and as you mentioned before, some of these covers, uh, they covered Hang On Sloopy, which we've covered. Love that song. Yeah, Super catchy. Uh, it was, I think, rec- first recorded by the Vibrations, but famously recorded by the McCoys. Uh, but a really <laughs> a really fun one. And I think that this this album mixes the fun with kind of the the more as kind of deep as 60s you know doo-wop pop can go sure there's still it doesn't it it can't necessarily get that deep it doesn't let itself so instead of getting these really really you know emotionally invested things you instead get you know like you can't hurry love which is obviously the big one that i hadn't talked about Mm yet uh, you can't Harry Love is a huge one. Um, you get like baby, I need your love, and you get these like emotional, you know, things. You get these emotional moments, but there's still just a little bit of a shallowness that happens, unfortunately. Of course. Now, I guess I will take us into Mary Sherry and Suze. Correct. So we're in the seventies now, and if you can tell, I don't know if you can piece together by the album title. Diana Ross is no longer in the group. Really? Diana Ross. I could have swore that she was Sherry. <laughs> Diana Ross uh, left the Supremes uh, pretty famously. Wasn't wasn't the greatest when it happened. She went, had her prominent solo career, and that's that. Uh, so moving on to the other stuff that the Supremes have done, it's still good. It's still good. They, they still have a definitive identity of the style of music they're playing. Uh, it's still all written for them, so there's still no writing happening. And I will say, it, it's not a huge difference, but it there is definitely a slight downtick in sheer vocal power moving on from Diana Ross, which Diana Ross is hard to replace. Sure. She's one of the legends of this genre. Absolutely. Um, But, you know, Mary Wilson, Suze Green, they do a good job. Uh, Sherry Payne also does a really good job. They are kind of shifting back to the first album mentality, splitting the vocal duties. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed most of it. I, en- I enjoyed listening to it. Uh, do I wish that we got a little bit more Diana Ross when she was Diana Ross? Yes. Sure. But I know that exists if I want to go back and listen to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this album is solid, like you said. I mean, it felt like a natural progression for me that they would end up doing disco essentially like a soulful take on disco um because well, that's, that's just kind came of out what, in the 70s it came out in 76 like we know what motown was trying to do with pushing their records for their artists yeah um the holland brothers are it's not holland dozier holland anymore but the two holland brothers write most of these songs mm-hmm. so the, the same guys are writing the songs just kind of evolving with the times uh and it you know it doesn't capture me like uh, a lot of the early stuff does, but I never disliked it either. Yeah. It just it just is what it is. Uh, and I don't have anything else to add on to what you had to say. So let's just grade them. Okay. Let's grade the Supremes. So here's the thing, okay? Okay, I'm ready. There's Obviously, there's some floors here. Oh, yeah. Obviously, there's some thresholds that we're going to hit. I want mm-hmm. you to be the one to talk about them. Sure. 
I'm going to talk about the sheer influence of the Supremes. Of course. So then just to get out of the way what you're yeah, talking about, for sure. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 1988. So they were the, the third class to go in, I believe, which is really high praise to make it in that early. Um, Diana Ross has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. They're in the Vocal Group Hall of Fame as of 1998. Rolling Stone ranked them. I th- The think Supremes themselves have a star low. on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, too. Oh, this, okay, good. Uh, Rolling Stone marked them remarkably low on their list of 100 greatest artists of all time. They put them yeah. at 96, which I was kind of like shocked that they were that low. Um, but to be in the 100 greatest artists of all time is, is definitely saying something. But go ahead. Okay, so... The Supremes have been instrumental in the careers of so many people. So many, you know, so many artists and acts have directly attributed their want and their kind of respect even to the Supremes. And and some of them are like the Three Degrees, the Emotions, the Pointer Sisters, and Vogue, TLC, Destiny's Child, Cleopatra, like all these girl groups, you know, and and prominently African-American girl groups that were like, okay, the Supremes did it first and we are seeing how successful they were and knowing that we can do it too. And so they were absolutely influential to so many people. I mean, think about it. You wouldn't have Queen B, Queen Beyonce yeah, right. without the Supremes. Uh, moving on, so there was obviously the film Sparkle, which tells yeah, the right, story right. of sister and the sisters, right. which is kind of based on on them, and the Dream Girls musical as well. And then, there, sure and then gonna, that's yeah. the big one. Dream Girls, the musical, is almost directly a rip. And uh, honestly, if you Google or you got actually no, I, I can see it right here. They have the the pictures side by side on their Wikipedia. So if you go on the Wikipedia and go under Legacy for the Supremes, the album cover for Dream Girls, the film. And the album cover for Cream of the Crop by Diana Ross and the Supremes, it's literally like shot for shot. Sure. So they all but tell everyone it's about the Supremes. Um, they basically <clears throat> they basically tell the story of the Supremes from the point of view of Florence Ballard, um, renamed Effie White. Mm. But yeah. that musical has been extremely popular <laughs> uh, everywhere on Broadway. There was obviously a film made of it. And uh, yeah, funnily enough, Diana Ross hated it. Yeah, go figure. Yeah. Um, oh, but I mentioned the Rolling Stone thing. Billboard also named them the 16th greatest artist of all time. Yeah. So, which I think is closer to all of which goes to say that the Supremes and Diana Ross and the Supremes are they're in the nines. They're well in the nines for sure. Yeah, I mean, like they were Motown's answer to the Beatles. For a period in the mid 60s yeah. where like that was the way that they were able to kind of rival them in sales like and we're in the upper half of the nines undoubtedly it is seriously something to say that in the 60s in the early 60s like going toe-to-toe with a group like the beatles was like let's put it seriously a black all-female group mm-hmm. two two groups that especially in those days were absolutely not given the proper oh, voice yeah. and then the Supremes were, you know, topping charts and blowing sure. everyone's mind. So, I yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to throw out a number here. Please. 9.8. It's literally the number I already typed yeah. into the spreadsheet. So, uh, moving right along. So, Breath of Work, in a remarkably short amount of time, they released 29 studio albums. Yes. Which is, I guess, easy to do when 
other people are writing all your songs for you. Yeah, like, and it's, we know that that's the knock on them. That's where they're going to lose points. Yeah. They don't lose points here. 29 albums is a lot. Uh, the sales are really, really good, but confusing. Yeah. And the reason for this is because Motown Records, and this probably had affected other artists that we talked about before. Definitely. Too. It's something we didn't they, see before. Yeah. They did not submit the books for the industry audit, essentially. So uh, all of these artists that were having stuff released at the time, Motown refused to uh, give their records over. So the RIAA was not certifying the a lot of the singles and um records and compilations and anything that would yeah. come out of Motown essentially. And I um, do think it affect a lot of people and reading some of the theories about it, I think mm-hmm. the big theory is that like Motown records was kind of keeping how successful the artists were from the artists to mm-hmm. avoid having to pay them like to pay them more. millions and millions of dollars yeah. when it's like, Barry hey, Gordy. my album went triple platinum. Yeah. Why am I getting, you know, a thousand dollars? Barry was not known to be a wonderful person. Right. Uh, I'll leave it at that. But uh, like, so there are a lot of estimates like in 2020 insider said that the Supremes were the best selling vocal group of all time to date. Uh, back in 1980, Ebony had uh, the magazine estimated that they had already had about 50 million in sales. Euro news more recently has said that there are over a hundred million in worldwide sales. So go, going from about those numbers, I think we can definitely estimate that they're a group that sold about a hundred million records worldwide. Yes. Uh, Records of quality, 29 of them. It's a lot. This is a high number as well. And it, it definitely is. It's It's got to be not quite where the first number is. No, but, but it's, it's probably got to be a nine. It's a nine. It's, it's in the early nine. nines. Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, 100 million in sales. I wish there was a certification just because they deserve them. But, yeah, but 100 million, the there's are. a lot of effort yeah. done to release these figures. 100 million is nothing to shake a stick at. Oh, God, no. So 100 million... Then you get a quality bump, and then you get the album number bump of 29. Which is a lot, yeah. I do want to give a 9.2. And let's do it. Uh, And then instrumental talent, this is going to be their last good category. Uh, They're good singers. They are. They're good singers. Um, The music behind them is all solid. I'm not really going to move too much in one direction I mean, the Motown. Motown We're going to focus on the vocals. Uh, Of course. So we're going to focus on the vocals here, which are above average. They're good. They're good singers. Yes. I think they are... I think we are kind of blessed in their grading here that we got m- more with Diana Ross because I think Diana sure. Ross is obviously the strongest singer of course uh, of the group. What do you think in number wise? I mean, I think they have to be pulled up from like a baseline of average for for the musicianship going on behind them. Yeah. I'm not going to be like I'm not going to have a skyrocketing number here, but I'm probably going to be into the sixes, maybe even the higher end of the sixes. Yeah, and I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking like right around a six six to a six seven okay. is a good spot for them here. I'll give them the six six. I feel like we've always given them the benefit of the doubt in the other ones, and they're gonna sure. get some X Factor coming up. Yeah. Uh so I'm just gonna move through songwriting talent point one, poetic talent point one. Yep. They don't write the songs. That's correct. X Factor. A lot of things that we've already mentioned about sales. Uh what I already mentioned about having the first album to go number one in That's the a US big X all Factor female point. group. That's a big they also have 12 number one hits in their career, which is fifth all time amongst uh, any other artists. So, you know, they're on all those other lists. They've inspired movies and musicals and all that stuff that we talked about for cultural impact. I think a lot of that spills over here. Um, but we got to get a couple of points X Factor, I think, for a group like this. You know, one of the most, I would say the Supremes and the Temptations, I think of at least as the foundational acts to the Motown sound. Smokey Robinson and the Miracles as well. Yeah. But they're, they're definitely... That's probably top three. 
Yeah. That's uh, top three, and then you move on from that into like the solo acts. But in mm-hmm. terms of like Motown groups, for sure. Yeah, that, that's that's what created the sound of the era in American music, or yeah. for a large swath of American. And music. as you just said, creating the sound, and right. we have established that as a vocal group. Yes, there were doo-wop vocal groups before them. You know, like we did the Cordettes, and like there were things like that. But mixing it in with that R and B sound. Taking the doo-wop and moving it into a soulful sound and R&B, like, that's a genre shift. Sure. How many points? I'd be willing to go, like, three and a half. And that's perfect for me. All right. I got scores, then. Oh, I'm ready. And, Pat, you are going to be so disappointed. Oh, no. Okay, okay. Because losing this week. You loser. Is your favorite band of all time, Pantera. Lost? Pantera. They lost, lost the week. Okay. With a 21 and a half. Wow. They lost yes. the week. They did. There was uh, some real worry you? there. There was. I know. I know you were worried. Go ahead. Okay. I should, hit, I should hit the win. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. With a miraculous 29.3, despite getting bare minimum in two categories. Oh my gosh. Is the Supremes. That's to <laughs> almost touch 30 with 2.1s is nearly impossible. That's it's that's almost insane. impossible with the system that we've set up. That's insane. Uh, and the Supremes got to a 29.3 which is amazing. And look at uh, that, the Ides of March yeah. right in the middle. Right in the middle with a 24.4 still managed to beat Pantera by almost 3. Do you do you get my joke though that the Ides of March was right in the middle? Yeah, because the 15th of the month. Because the 15th yeah, yeah. of the month is right, right in the middle right, right, of the right, month. Right. That's very good. At well, two, Brute. All right, enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, congratulations to the back. Supremes. Yeah, absolutely. Well-deserved win. Uh, and come back next week uh, because we'll be taking you higher with Creed. Oh, man, we're hitting a lot of meme bands Wait, here in season four. That's rough. A lot of meme bands. Oh, that's that's so rough. Yeah. Okay, well... With that note, I'm going to start playing the outro. You should. I'm already picturing in my head the voice I'm going to have to do to intro that episode, though. Oh, yeah. Will be I great. be able to speak the rest of the episode if I do that? Tune in next week uh, to find out. Yeah, right. Also, right, right. like us on That's social cool. and be safe and live your dreams and have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>